Featuring Lauren Marcus and Jason Vesey. Prologue. It was one of those quiet, but not so quiet, New York nights. Things were happening. Important things, I'm sure. Trash being taken out. Street sweepers. The hiss of steam pipes in the mid-October night. The smell of dead leaves and old tikka masala. The rustle of overhead squirrels arguing over nuts and detritus left from the nurses of the nearby sanatorium. The lone wail of a siren in the distance. Quiet, but not so quiet. The little life of a little secluded neighborhood. It was on such a night when I decided to finally check out the listing. Chapter 1. Hindsight. Mind you, I had my eye out for some time for this area. More in particular, the Petersfeld, a legendary old residence, overlooking a nearby park, a gated garden, and of course the old sanatorium. More gothic than Romanesque, with its parapets and turrets, gargoyles and tracery, the Petersfeld stood alone as a landmark to a forgotten time. The city sprawl obfuscated so many of these old residences into obscurity. It suddenly occurred to me with some melancholic wistfulness that the flying buttresses might look somewhat out of place, as the edifice was apparently being converted into a CVS. The sudden squeal of a squirrel startled me. Perhaps it had found the tikka masala. I checked my watch. 3 a.m. seemed an odd time to be meeting someone to showcase the place. However, I knew too well that in real estate, you had to pounce when opportunity presented itself, and like a grimalkin stalking its prey, pounce I did. I checked again the listing and remembered what my flatmate Greg had said the previous night. Uh Uh-uh, don't go there. Are you out of your damn mind? Have you never watched Dateline? Don't you know how many disappearances have happened at that place? It's mad cursed. Remember that fire at the sanatorium a few years back? They said it went unsolved. That whole area is crazy dangerous, homie. I once ate a Subway sandwich that made me so sick in that neighborhood, I vomited green for a week. I swear it was because of the curse. Greg was always one for hyperbole. And Subway sandwiches. He'd gotten food poisoning three times from the establishment, but it had never stopped him from eating fresh. Whoa, 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 It happened to my cousin. Regardless of his good intentions, I alleviated Greg's concerns and assured him that I would only be gone for a short while. Perhaps the owner had their reasons for the lateness of the hour. Hey, pick me up a tuna melt. Or honey oat. Lots of olives. I bustled hurriedly across the street and approached the front stoop. (coughs) The caw of a crow or a raven or perhaps the utterance of a wayward pigeon sent a cold shiver down my spine. I quickly shook it off. Greg's conspiratorial concerns wouldn't eclipse the possibility for a fantastic deal on an apartment. In fact, 
If anything, Greg's rantings only reminded me of the necessity for my own place. I was shocked to discover upon the entrance of the building no discernible door. A nameplate above the main arch, emblazoned in faded gilding against a forest green background, simply read, The Petersfeld, Residence in Excellence. I noticed a small engraving of a lion next to what looked like the faded outline of a wolf. The gilding of the sharp claws reflected in the moonlight. The buzzer startled me, nearly spilling the tuna sandwich from my grasp. I couldn't see a doorknob, but I espied next to a barrage of CVS magazines some sort of rope handle. I pulled hard and the entire front facade gave way with a screech. At last, I was inside. Chapter 2. Inside. I must admit, it was with some trepidation that I entered the foyer. The main hallway was a dazzling menagerie of old portraits, tapestries, and CVS magazines. I looked up and caught my breath. The atrium shot high above me in a cascade of stone stairs leading to a stained glass ceiling. Hard to make out in the relative darkness, but the moonlight illuminated enough for me to see again the silhouette of a lion and wolf. The elevator came gently down without me having pressed the button. The lift appeared as an old steel cage, one that miners might take deep into the bowels of the earth. Aside from the intricate latticework, a closer inspection revealed detailed metal engravings and chiaroscuro figures. I noticed the name Ovid rather than Otis and thought it odd. I opened the gate and entered. The buttons were hard to read, but I found the ninth floor easily enough. As the elevator ascended, the palpable smell of something strange singed my nostrils. I could only describe it as sulfuric. Then again, perhaps it was a whiff of urine mixed with Greg's tuna melt. The lift stopped. I opened the gate and found myself outside a large wooden door. I gingerly approached. I reminded myself of the low price, the great location, the thought of my own space away from Greg, and found my resolve. I was just about to knock on the door when it opened. Chapter 3. Susan. I stood in shock. There before me was a young woman in her late twenties. She was quite striking, with large eyes that seemed to absorb all the light around them. I found myself staring and stammered, I'm here for- The listing! Yes, of course, of course. Come in, come in. I stood at the threshold for a moment. Come, come, come. I don't chew, you know. I'm Susan, but my friends call me Susan. What did you think of that beastly old elevator? It's quite a behemoth, but it never breaks. And my apologies for the lateness of the hour. I volunteer at the sanatorium, and the hours are always so extreme. Tea? I was quite taken with her immediately. Those gigantic eyes were both unsettling and alluring. If you work nearby, why are you looking to leave this place, I asked. Nuh-uh-uh. I have my reasons. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to pry. It's okay. It's just that I'm about done with my time at that beastly old place and ready for greener pastures. Now, how about that tea? The way she lingered on greener pastures seemed to haunt the air. As for tea, what could I say but yes? We entered the living room, high vaulted ceilings, beautiful view of the city below. It was homey, elegant, spacious. Susan put on the kettle. Well, what do you think? It's great, I said. Great is a term for plebeians. 
I'm disappointed. I expected more creativity in your responses. I'm sorry, I said. I I just meant, I love the place. I'm truly taken with it. And you haven't seen the half of it. What do you say it has? Good bones? What? I asked. The bones. Would you say they're good? The bones? Yes, yes. The bones. My goodness, I'm worried you may not be hearing myself. The bones. Do you like them? I think so, I said. Susan stared at me, unblinking. I believe structure is vital. It's the framework. It's what everything else hangs upon. Everyone loves artifice, but I'm interested in the bones themselves. So I'm going to ask you again, and I expect you to answer. Do you like my bones? Your bones, I asked. I was starting to get confused. Yes, I uttered. I I think you have lovely bones. Susan stared at me again. Actually seemed to stare through me as if evaluating me with some rubric in her mind's eye. A moment went by, then another. Those eyes like bottomless pools, waiting, watching. The tea kettle gave me a start. Tea! Jumpy, aren't we? She poured a cup of what I took as not quite Earl Grey into an ornate mug. Look, I don't want to take up too much of your time so late, I said. Nonsense, Sid. Sid, I'll give you the grand tour in a few. Let me just tidy up the bedroom for a moment. Be back in a jiff. Relax. Look around. Enjoy the tea. She puttered off down the hall. I wasn't quite sure what to do. I looked at the mug. Inscribed in a Comic Sans font was something that looked like Greek or Latin. Laschiate ogne speranza. I felt uneasy. I didn't know why. She was perfectly lovely, and those big eyes were both calming, if not intimidating. I shrugged and started to take a sip, when suddenly from out of an unseen door was Susan again. She wore a completely different outfit and had a look of terror on her face. You have to get out of here. I was confused. Susan, I asked. Oh, no. I'm Susie. I know you came here to look at the apartment, but my sister, she is... Well, aside from the outfit, a dress that seemed almost Victorian, Susie was the spitting image of her sister, the same striking big eyes. I'm sorry, I said, but... You're in danger. You need to leave. But I was just waiting. I'll leave shortly. I was just having some tea. Suddenly, Susie slapped the tea out of my hand before I could take a sip. You're a fool or bricky brave for such risk-taking. You need to leave. She was pleading with me, this strange doppelganger of Susan, with those big, beseeching eyes. I can see why she likes you. Good bones. Don't say I didn't warn you. And with that, she ran away into the kitchen. I hastily followed, but when I opened the swinging door, she was gone. Evaporated. Chapter 4. The Kitchen. I looked around. The kitchen was large. It seemed almost to be an old servant's quarters. There was even an old tiny elevator for what I assumed was bringing up food or wares from downstairs for the cook. Odd bottles and forgotten brands of strange products lined the shelves. Next to old blueberry crunch cereal boxes was a large and ancient recipe book. It was covered with grime from years of use. I opened up one of the sticky pages to find a recipe for a candy cane treat from the 1900s. It seemed to be sweetened with cocaine and iodine. Then the door swung open. Shush and tickle bits. My goodness, what a lovely, lovely in my kitchen. It was Susan again, but with a strange affectation and, and once again a different outfit. 
She wore an oversized nightgown with embroidered cats. Or were they wolves? She had a dialect I couldn't place. I'm Susie Pooh, sugar. Have you met my sister? Which one, I asked. Which one? Oh, that's a riot. There's just me and old Susan. Do you like her? Old Susan? She looked barely 30. I'm just here to look at the apartment, I said. Oh, right. She wants us to skedaddle and bounce on out of this place to those greener pastures. I'd say my foot, but Susan can be persuasive. Say, do you want one of my lemon honey chunky crunchies? I was a little overwhelmed. Maybe it was the lack of sleep. I was still holding the tuna melt and the plastic bag made my hand clammy. I think I'm good, I said. But thank you? Nonsense, my lovely lovely. Let Susie Pooh put you at ease with the tasty tasty. I started to back towards the door. Did my sister freak you out with all her bones talk? I swear to Karen, she always freaks people out talking bones. Made all those CVS folks real skittish. You did say you like them, didn't you? Yes, I began. Well, thank the unbaptized babies of Kaina. I'd hate to think what she'd have done if you hadn't. Now, have a lemon. The clock struck 3.30 a.m. She suddenly stopped in her tracks. Those same big eyes of her sister or sisters went wide and twitched. Gotta run, lovely, lovely. See after the pale ribbon rides the clouds. And with that, she was gone. Chapter 5. Reevaluation. It was at this moment that something felt wrong. Gnawing at the back of my mind was an unease. Three sisters, all identical, all strange, all with these voluminous eyes. I felt unsettled. Unsure of what to do, out of desperation, I made the only play I could think of. I called Greg. No wonder you're freaking out, man. I told you. That whole place is cursed. Dude, you gotta get yourself the hell out of Dodge, man. My cousin said that he is drawn to succubuses. Or is it succubi? Whatever, suck you somethings. Be careful. And hey, you better not have forgotten my tuna melt. There better be lots of olives, man. Lots and lots of... Suddenly, Greg cut out. Man, hold on. Someone's at the door. I paced the kitchen. Where was Susan? It was late. My sleep-addled brain was entertaining all manner of phantasmagorical thoughts. I pushed them from my mind. I would wait it out. I would... Uh, this is random, dude. But there's this weird girl at the door who wants to talk with you. Pretty cute. But weird eyes, though. I stopped in my tracks. My pulse quickened. Not noticing it, I tripped over a cat food bowl and slipped. I fell hard, slamming my head on the counter and knocking my phone to the floor. Blueberry crunch exploded and rained down everywhere. I lay prostrate on the floor with little cereal bits strewn in a scattered array like crunchy stars against the black and white linoleum. My head throbbed. Sparks clouded my vision. Dazed but in one piece, I made a half-hearted attempt to raise myself up. When through the swinging door, Susan appeared. There you are, you sneaky snake. And what a mess. No worries. Susie Pooh will clean up. <gasps> Your head. Are you all right? Did you bump your belfry? Poor thing, let me take a look. I assured her I was quite all right, but she insisted vehemently that she examine me. She helped me to the bathroom, which looked more like an apothecary filled with vials and medicines I'd never heard of before. You daffy cretin. Don't you know your cranium is one of your most important bones? Let me just dab this on it. Her hands were delicate and smooth. 
with strange concentric circles in the palms, or maybe that was just my spinning head. After applying a salve that smelled like junipers and dying weeds, she escorted me back to the living room. There. All better. Just lie back for a moment on the Davenport. No need to rush. You might not know if there's brain damage, and I will not have you re-injure that regal capitulum by moving too quickly. Her voice was soothing, those massive eyes filled with concern. I must have been overreacting with any flights of fancy. Whatever dangers her sister might have tried to impress on me seemed unfounded. Susan was lovely, if not a little odd. My head was swimming. The salve was tingling. Susan was kind. She just had a strange disposition, a strange... The clock on the mantel ticked in a steady, soporific beat. The room began to shift and I suddenly fell into a deep slumber. Chapter 6. Shipwrecked. I awoke with a bolt. My head had a dull ache as I tried to get my bearings. The clock on the wall read 4 a.m., but surely I'd been out longer. There was no sign of Susan or her sisters. Wait, the clock. The clock, which had been an old oak mantelpiece before, was now replaced with sailboat motifs. In fact, the room looked entirely different, with a nautical theme. Rising from a bed, I realized I must be in a guest room. The space was ellipsoidal in shape, like an oblong egg. Sailboat paintings and models permeated the walls and floors. There was a strange smell like gunpowder and B.O., I thought I heard distant sounds of sea shanties, pirates gargling rum and arguing about cabin boys and doubloons. Was I delirious? Upon one of the walls was a faint outline of another door, but it looked camouflaged within the wallpaper. I approached and gingerly pushed against it. The wall gave way easily into a small antechamber, which I stumbled into. There before me was the strangest mural I had ever seen. It was composed of childish drawings of meadows and sheep. It was bucolic and pastoral in an amateurish way. Greener pastures, I thought. My God, were these them? Or were they merely the rantings of a childlike yearning for a happier place? Perhaps a secret escape from the mind of a troubled woman or women? The meadows were bright green, drawn in pastels and crayons, with what I can only describe as brute force. The waving grass was made of harsh, thick lines, as if someone had pushed all their strength into the walls. In one of the meadows was drawn a tombstone. In another was a sheep that was colored bright pink. And yet another on the far wall was what looked like a wolf next to a white cottage. The cottage was built out of some strange material and... Alabaster like plaster, but more accru, like ivory. Bone. It was a cottage made entirely of bones. I fled from the room and back into the relative safety of sailboats and gunsmoke, when a harsh voice cut through. Avast, who ye be, who dares disturb Susanna the Cruel, sea wolf and bride of Neptune? I was starting to think I was losing my mind. Here was Susan again, but in full pirate regalia. Ye thinks ye can come to my domain without paying the proper passage? Her enormous eye looked at me with rage, the other hidden behind an eye patch. I excuse me, I said, I, I think you've mistaken Silence, me for- dog! I'll trim you nape to nip and shape to ship and all the parts between. I'd had enough. 
Look, I said Susan or Susie or- Susanna the Cruel. Susanna the Cruel, it's late. I was just looking for an apartment. I think there's been a misunderstanding. There'll be a misunderstanding if you don't come here and let me lick the sweat off thy brow and regale me with a sea shanty. With that, she brought out a nasty looking cutlass and swung it in the air. It clipped my shoulder and drew blood. Her eye twitched, her mouth opened in a stupor, her tongue hung out and began to loll and drool, yearning with terrible anticipation. So he bleeds, and the wolf fades. I ran. Chapter 7. The Station Now in a full panic and a bleeding appendage, I desperately looked for an exit. I reached for my phone, suddenly realizing it must still be in the kitchen under a pile of blueberries. My heart sunk. Surely there must be a way out. The hallway twisted and turned. Just how big was this apartment? The listing had said two-bedroom, but this was at least five or six, perhaps an entire floor. The screaming cackle of the deranged pirate seemed to grow distant as I rounded the corner. I found solace in the relative safety of a broom closet. The recess was filled with an inordinate amount of costumes from different eras and ilks. Hats and canes, dresses and wigs. Bustiers and brassiers, uniforms of every shape and size and type, from military to cheer squad to chef. I pushed against a mink stole and realized I was once again in another small antechamber. A sterile metallic smell stung me. I groped in the darkness. A hand grasped mine and pulled me into the light. Are you all right? What? Who are you? I asked. The light was disorienting and the figure before me was backlit by some kind of harsh fluorescent. It's me, Susie, silly. Are you okay? Looks like you've had a scrape. I know my sisters can be a little abrasive, especially Susan. I warned you about her, didn't I? Yes, yes you did, I breathlessly uttered, trying to regain my composure. Can you help me? Can you help me get out of here? I want to, more than anything. I don't want you ending up like the last caller. They went to pieces, but I'm so scared. I don't know if I can stand up to them. Susie, I said, you seem like a nice person. I think you genuinely want to help. Please, please take me out of here. I noticed the walls as my eyesight adjusted. We were in some strange metal room. Odd mobiles hung from the ceiling, perhaps of constellations. Where am I? I asked. You're in the station. This is where I depart from. But you can't. Her voice trembled. She seemed genuinely distraught. You can't be a passenger. You see, as much as I want you to come with me, you just can't. But Susie, I said, I I can. Please, let me come with you. The ship only allows one vessel. Wait, what? You see, the vehicle only allows one passenger to take back there. Take back where, I demanded. To the future. With tears in her eyes, Susie from the future began to shiver. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Goodbye. She ran to a gap in the floor and jumped inside. The room burst into white light with the thunderous pop of electricity. Then she was gone. The lights adjusted. I heard a familiar voice from a loudspeaker and a slow clap. Well, well, well. Sisters, look who's on the killing floor. Chapter 8. The Wolf's Den. My shoulder throbbed. I looked back at the closet where I had entered, but it was gone. All the walls looked like identical metal sheeting. 
Deep in the riveting, I noticed what appeared as dried specks of dark brown and red. The mobiles above, which had first appeared astrological, now seemed more cruel. Were they hooks? Was this some sort of meat locker? Then Susan began what I took as a nursery rhyme. Poor pink lammy lamb down on the floor. Doesn't lammy know what lammy is for? Munching and crunching little lammy meat. The gristle of mutton makes the tastiest treat. Look, I said, Susie. Susan! I'm not that strumpet of a sister. Susan, I don't belong here, and I think I think you need help. I want to help you. Let, let's talk about this. The time for talking is through, my lammy lamb. Oh, shush and tush. I'm going to make the tastiest chunky crunchies out of that little lammy. It was Susie Pooh. Aye, surely this will beat that stringy CVS landlubber. All the sisters were there, or perhaps just the one. I called out in desperation as I heard the sound of a buzzsaw start somewhere in the next room. Susie! Susie, I pleaded. I, I know you're up there. Please, don't let your sisters do this. I know it's not what you want. Please, please, I know about the greener pastures. The buzzsaw stopped. Yes, the greener pastures. I am, I can take you there, I said. I heard muttering as if the sisters were discussing. I stood rooted, stuck to the spot. I was too terrified to move. Moments went by, which felt like eons. Then suddenly, a door opened. As before, silhouetted against the harsh light was Susie. I was saved. Surely she'd listen to reason and help me leave this terrible, if not spacious, apartment. But wait, she was wearing some kind of elaborate wolf ensemble, replete with claws and a large headpiece. The buzzsaw started again. My heart pounded hard against my ribs. The wolf feeds. She raised the saw. Chapter 9. No Exit. Was I going to expire like this? Chopped to pieces in some random apartment by a raving lunatic? Why had I just not listened to Greg? Oh, sweet Greg, if only he was here now. I could almost hear his voice in my head. That whole area is crazy dangerous, homie. I once ate a Subway sandwich that made me so sick in that neighborhood, I vomited green for a week. That was it! The Subway sandwich! In all this madness throughout the night, I'd completely forgotten I was still clutching the plastic bag filled with the tuna melt. I had a weapon, albeit not a very good one, but it was one just the same, and I wasn't dying here. Not while I still had some fight left in me. I shouted, Come at me then, Susan! Or whatever the hell your name is! Let's end this! And Susan leapt. Stop running in circles, Lammy Lamb. You know your time is nigh. <laughs> I must have your bones. Those beautiful, beautiful bones. Trying not to slip, I ran in circles until I saw my opportunity. I dodged the spinning blade and swung the sandwich high in the air. It lingered in space as we both were transfixed, as if in slow motion. Then I brought it down hard, catching Susan squarely in the face. The bag exploded, tuna melt rained down everywhere. Ah! Olives! Oh God, not olives, I'm allergic! Oh God, they're everywhere, you monster! She dropped the saw and began to heave as if to vomit. You have made a mess and ruined everything. She vomited violently all over her wolf head and fell into the corner, convulsing and crying. My outfit, 
my beautiful outfit. Who's going to clean this all up? God, I'll never get the deposit back. You ruined everything. I kicked the saw away and suddenly noticed the metal teeth were made of plastic. In fact, the metal walls looked to be just painted plywood. I hadn't noticed it before, but there was a doorknob blended in with the paint. I turned it and walked into the hall. I looked back at the huddled mass of vomit, tuna melt, and wolf accoutre in the corner. <laughs> Don't you know how expensive it is to make a site-specific immersive theatrical endeavor? I'm sorry, what? I asked. 3 a.m. was the only time slot they allowed for me in this apartment. I don't even live here. I had to rent all the sets. It took weeks to install, and now it's a mess. My world was spinning. How dumb was I? Of course, the elaborate sets, the strange-themed rooms. I was in some twisted art installation. But, but I said, you cut me! That wasn't supposed to happen. The stage combat guy who lent me the weapons told me that the edges were blended. I'm sorry, but I couldn't break character. You see, it's all for my master's thesis, the Petersfield experience, distress of the mind as it relates to the horror of apartment hunting. I offered my hand to her. She wiped hers off and took it. She began to get control of herself and started to clean. I went to the kitchen and swept, finding my phone under the blueberries. The screen was cracked, but it still looked functional. I'm so sorry. I can reimburse you for that once I get my university stipend. I assured her it was unnecessary. So, did you like it? I'm not sure how to answer that, Susan, I replied. Oh, it's it's actually Gina. I meant, like, were you scared? Oh yeah, quite. Though a little confusing with the furniture, spaceship, meat locker thing. Yeah, you're my first guest to the exhibition, so I need to work out some of the thematic kinks. I might have too many competing ideas, which might cloud the overall narrative. Yeah. So, I'm gonna go. Sure, sure, sure. Sorry again about the arm. It's okay, I said. If you're really looking for an apartment, I have a friend that's looking for a sublet. I can tell her I think I'm good for right now, I said. But thanks, Gina. Take care. You too. Despite her large, tear-stained eyes, she looked up at me and smiled. Hope to see you around. I left the apartment. I took the lift back down to the lobby and walked into the chill of the night air. It would be dawn soon. I realized during all the events of the evening that I hadn't called Greg back. I dialed the crack phone. Hey, Greg. Sorry to call so late. Just letting you know that I'm okay. Big misunderstanding. I don't want a new place. Or a new roommate. Let's just renew the lease, okay? Oh, and I don't have your tuna melt. It's a long story. Okay, Greg? Greg? A familiar voice answered. I'm sorry, dear, but Greg is indisposed for the moment. I look forward to seeing you soon, though. Apologies that your apartment hunting was such a nightmare. This has been The Listing. Written and performed by Rob Rokiki. Featuring Lauren Marcus and Jason Vesey. 